755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. So anyway, the Braves told him, you got to get your shit. Oh, whoa. Is this just, this is just us three, right? <laughs> oh, no. Welcome back to 755 is real. I'm David O'Brien, <laughs> Braves writer for The Athletic. I'm with my co-host, Eric O'Flaherty, former Braves reliever. What's happening out Seattle, Eric? Little little nippy out here, man. It's getting a little. I can't believe summer's what? over. Come on, man. You're killing me. It's already September almost. Oh, dude. You know how good that sounds right now. What's it like out there this morning? 55. 55 oh, degrees. God, that sounds beautiful. Beautiful. It's uh, 90 and going to rain here again today. I haven't looked at the forecast, but I know that's what it is. So I don't need to look at it <laughs> here in Atlanta. Teams in Philly flew up there today. Uh, yesterday, actually, on their day off. And we are at the halfway point, man, and we got a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of good stuff going on with the Braves, despite <laughs> the, I mean, this you gotta get you gotta hand it to this team. They've they faced a lot of adversity in this short season, and so far they've overcome it all. Yeah. They're 18 and 12. Yeah, I mean, if you think about if this team had their starting pitching figured out this whole time, they could be exactly five or six games even farther ahead. But, you know, it's it's just the type of team it is, man. They, they find ways to win games. If somebody had told you that a team would get to the halfway point of its season, even in a 60-game season, with only one starting pitcher having wins, no other starting pitcher had a win until the doubleheader uh, on Wednesday, you would have said, okay, that team's going to be in last place. You know, it would be about 10 and 20. But that's the yeah. case with the Braves. Max Fried was the only starter with a win until Wednesday. I didn't know that. Yeah. They were the only team that in the majors that could say that, that had one one starter with their only wins from starters. Yeah, well, he looked good. Uh, Ian Anderson looked good. Exactly. That's what we were going to talk about. Uh, one of the things was the performance of Ian Anderson in Wednesday's doubleheader. Eric, you tell me what you saw from this 22-year-old Braves number one pitching prospect who, to me, I mean, I don't mean to be uh, to overdo the praise or anything uh, to get ahead of myself, but to me, he pitched like a future potential number one starting pitcher in his first game in the big leagues. Yeah, I mean, to, and to do it against the Yankees, too. Yeah. You know, there's, just, there's something about that uniform that, you know, it really makes you recognize where you are. You're in the big leagues when you see those pinstripes. Um, and he wasn't intimidated at all. Uh, he was aggressive, pumping strikes, kind of attacking the hitters. I mean, there's just an aggression to the way he was throwing that was really impressive to me. And I liked how fast he worked. Uh, it was ref- uh-huh. it was just a refreshing game to watch, you know, both pitchers just firing strikes and coming at hitters. Uh, the pace of the game was really good. But, you know, like one thing I noticed about him is how he works over his front side. I feel like he he has some pretty good deception in his delivery. Um, uh-huh. A lot of a lot of hard throwers now, you know, because it's all about velocity now. But a lot of hard throwers, the way they're doing it is they're extremely rotational. So you'll see them, you know, most of them their front side kind of bails and they show the ball pretty early, so that you know that ninety seven doesn't really right. play as right. play up like like it should. Um, but him, like his ninety five, ninety six, his ninety five was getting on him. Um, you, you were seeing, you know, he was blowing 95 by guys and, and he was keeping them guessing. He was mixing in a lot of good pitches. He had good misses. Um, I thought his changeup was his best pitch. Yeah. Uh, when, when he missed with it, he missed down, which is good. 
Um, but I think that was the pitch. I, it was supposed to be fastball, curveball was what I heard about him the most. And I, yeah, I knew they, yeah. they said he worked on his changeup, but I thought that a was his lot. best pitch. Yeah, a lot. And he said, I think he said it too. In our post game, he acknowledged that was his best secondary pitch. Now, I mean, that's you talk about a guy learning a pitch, and that's a pitch that you don't hear a lot of guys even focusing on these days. It used to be the pitch for a while. But, man, at a time when not a lot of guys are throwing great change-ups, if this guy has a great one like he did the other day, it adds yeah. a whole new wrinkle, doesn't it? Well, it really does, and especially when you couple it with deception. And mm-hmm. and like I said, I think that's something a lot of pitchers aren't – you know, everybody's got a radar gun, but I think the most important gun right now would be a deception gun. If you found a way to invent one of those, you know, just to, to gauge how the hitters are going to be able to pick up a pitcher. Um, mm-hmm. It's something you can see when you watch it, but there's no – there's no stat for it, but the way he works directly in line, like if you watch his momentum when he throws, um, everything was in line with his target. All his aggression, the finish, everything went right at that target, whether it was left side of the plate or right side of the plate. You could see his his finish going there versus what I'm talking about. You might see a, a hard thrower try to throw a fastball in, and they still spin off um, yeah. glove side, and they pull away. What that does is the hitter winds up seeing the ball, that extra tick, that that extra little bit longer where they can get to it. But for him, everything's coming out of the same slot. So when you get when you get that direction and everything working in that line, the back and forth is really hard to pick up a fastball changeup. Um, and that's that's why I think that that changeup was. I mean, it was pretty devastating for those guys. Yeah, you saw him. You saw him just you know <laughs> throwing it just a tick below the zone and getting a lot of swings over it, and then they were late on his fastball. Um, but yeah, that, for me, I just thought I thought they were having a really hard time picking the ball up. I think deception, without question, to me, is the the one character, uh, the one characteristic, or the one ability, if you will, that the average person, the average fan, the average non-player uh, doesn't quite uh, credit because everybody just looks is so uh, accustomed to looking at nothing but what's his velo, what's his velo, what's his velo. And they think every 95 is the same. If a guy's throwing 93, it's like, eh, okay, this, these days, 93 is no big deal. If a guy's 98, they're like, oh, they're, now, now we're talking. But yeah. it doesn't mean anything if it's if there's no deception and it's straight and everybody just looks at, at uh, Velo. But like Tyler Flowers is always talking about how a guy's fastball plays up. Max yep. Freed, he says his fastball plays up either yep. because of deception or because of their secondary pitches or both or their spin. Yeah. Or yeah. both, all those things. So that was, that was one place where progress was made, you know, in kind of gauging how somebody's fastball would play is, is when right. they started measuring the spin rate right. on a fastball. But there's also just the, the deception, you know, like it, there could be a six, seven mile an hour swing in a, uh, a guy's just perceived velocity from the hitters. You know, mm-hmm. if they can pick it up early, um, it's so much easier for them to to time it. But for me, when I saw Anderson, like he's kind of, he keeps his front side in there a long time and he's got to be extremely flexible because when his foot lands, yeah. his, there's, if you, if you screenshotted him when his foot lands, the ball's still like it, not even behind his head, it's toward first base. Um, wow. But the ability to stay in line and, and keep that front side closed makes it so much harder for, um, for hitters to pick up the ball. One of the best compliments I ever got was from Chipper. Um, I faced him in live BP and he just told me it was just uncomfortable. He goes, you just uh-huh. the way you were throwing, you had a little hitch and you got over your front side in a way um, that I just couldn't pick the ball up very well. He goes, you need to throw a lot of fastballs. And I was a guy that sat 91, 92, but guys always told me it played up. And 
Mm-hmm. I would just find myself, you know, getting away with that that mispitch, that fastball down the middle, uh, and you get a pop up and and mm-hmm. hiding the ball that little bit longer and, and making it harder for the hitters to pick up. You know, I mean, game of inches, they would just just be off timing or, or just not get to it. And that's the difference between, you know, a pop up to short center field and a bomb dead center. Uh, yeah. But I, I felt like that was his main strength, mixing up the pitches, keeping them off balance and guessing. And then also they just they couldn't see the ball. They couldn't pick it up very well. It'll be interesting, you know, after teams get a scouting report, watch some video of him. You know, you can't right. really judge anything until then because they really didn't know much about him at all, especially this year in a pandemic. They don't even have video of him pitching a triple A. You know what I mean? Right. So, that's one start. And that's the thing that I, I know Seitzer has said a lot that you, you know, you'll have a guy say 94, but it plays up to 97. And when hitters are prepared for that, yeah. you know, it's a different game. So they, they might not have known that, you know, he's pitching satellite camp. There's right. not a lot of scouting going on, but um, I definitely thought his fastball played up. And they might not have known about the changeup at all because that's a pitch he's developed so much since last year. They probably, if they have video of him, it's probably from last year, you know, right? Because right. it's been and sketchy with the video out of the out of the uh, uh, camp. So that's only started yeah. recently, and I hear it's not good at all. So, you know, it's kind of random. So we'll see, but I'm not, and I'm not dismissing at all his performance because it was spectacular for the Braves this year. With it, they've had they've ran so many guys out there who have Snit pulling his hair out if he had hair. Uh, you know, cause they'll, yes, you know, Kyle Wright, Tukey, they'll have a game in or too good. And then all of a sudden they can't throw strikes or they, they're, they're, they're trying to, uh, be too fine or they're just, uh, not being aggressive and trusting their stuff. And it just drives them crazy. They end up walking a yard and they, you know, Snit goes out and pulls right in the middle of an inning or Tucson in the middle of a, a middle of a bat or whatever. So to have this, you could see Snit was almost giddy afterwards when I asked yeah. him how refreshing it was to have a guy throwing strikes like that in his first start. Snit was, he was just like he was beside himself talking about how much it how much it meant. Yeah, I mean, even just the way he stepped up to the mound before the game, I mean, there was yeah. a sense of calm. You could you yeah. could see it in him that he was mentally into it and ready. He didn't look intimidated at all. Which you know that says something about him by itself when you're facing the Yankees. Yeah, they um, all said that man the day before. Yeah. They said he, he was walking around the clubhouse before the game he got rained out because he was supposed to pitch Tuesday. He got there. They said walking around the clubhouse, you'd never know this guy wasn't a veteran. He was so calm. He's chatty. He's got like, he's a guy that talks on the days he starts too. He's not one of these guys that, uh, as Freddie said, he's not one of the guys with headphones sitting at his locker, staring at his locker. You know, he likes that. He's like a normal. So I think between that characteristic to begin with, and then having that day to kind of get acclimated, it probably helped him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it it just seemed for me like it was just his mindset. Um, he wasn't he wasn't intimidated in the least bit um and, he and he's prepared. facing garrett cole we haven't even mentioned he faced garrett cole the the richest pitcher in baseball right right no i mean to go out your first start and and do that that if nothing else it's just a huge confidence boost that you go out and beat garrett cole your first start you belong in this league yeah um speaking of garrett cole and we'll get to Ronnie Acuna, but I mean, it just said so much about Acuna and what he, what makes him so special. The guy misses nine games with a wrist injury. <laughs> There's no minor league to go down and have rehab starts. You could go to Gwinnett and train, hitting a couple of uh, uh, inter squad games or whatever he did. Did he do that? Uh, no, I don't think he even hit it inter- at, at Gwinnett because he was with the team taking BP right before this. Um, if, if he went down there, it wasn't for more than a day or two, but I think he just took BP, live BP, and hit off of uh, to- soft tossing and coach pitch. But anyway, he steps in there. The first at bat is against Garrett Cole. First at bat in like two weeks. 
He goes to a full count and hits the longest home run of his career, 473 feet, longest by a Brave at Truist Park in its four years, in his first plate appearance. And and this is leading off the game, too, because Snit stuck him yeah. right back in that leadoff spot. And if I'm Snit, I never even think about moving him out of that leadoff spot again. I mean, this guy, there's something about that leadoff spot and what he does for the team in that spot that it's just – it's magic. Yeah. No, he just belongs there. Uh, but, you know, to hit – Garrett Cole's got one of those fastballs that gets on guys. Yeah. And you, he threw a ton of fastballs. He challenges guys. Um, to get on top of his fastball, your first game back, I mean, it's just – you can't say enough about just the natural talent that Acuna has. Uh, and that was a bomb. That was a no-doubter. I mean, <laughs> yeah. there was like – it was one of those ones off the bat where there's yeah. – I don't even know why the outfielder jogged. But, yeah, man, I mean, they hit some – they hit a couple of really for, long uh, home Garrett runs Cole. off of Garrett Cole. Yeah, for sure. But Cole didn't look – he didn't look – he looked no, he tired didn't. or he didn't look yeah. – like his facial expression, he he looked a little off uh, even when the game started. I mean, that's not taken away from Acuna. It's still 98. But, um, yeah, that was impressive. <laughs> you know how great pitchers, even great pitchers, will have a couple of games like you look back yeah. and wonder if they're hurt or something, and then you look back and go, no, it was just a blip where they just didn't yeah. have their best stuff. For so that's he hadn't lost in in uh, he was twenty and zero with a one nine seven ERA in his previous twenty eight starts. Those were both approaching major league records. By the way, the Braves helped Chris Medlin remain tied for the second longest unbeaten streak, 28 starts, because he was tied with Med and one other dude. So the Braves are the one that ended it to make Garrett nice. Cole still tied with Med. <laughs> nice. So, but yeah, he had a 1970 ERA over those 28 starts. But after not losing for like, or after his team winning, like, I think it was like 13, no, like 15 or 18 starts in a row. They've now lost two in a row that he started, which is weird, you know, but that's back-to-back starts where he's not been his normal, you know, just overwhelming self. But I tell you what, the Braves, man, if you look back, it is uncanny. There's two things about this team that are that separate it from most other teams. One, how they never are out of games. They come back in the last at-bat so many times and in the last two or three innings so many times. And the other is how many times they've gone up against the best pitcher in the game or one of the best pitchers like DeGrom or Scherzer or Strasburg, and how many times they've torched a guy like that when the guy's on like a huge roll. I mean, it's happened more than a handful of times in the last few years where you're like, oh, they got no chance today, and they go out and kill a guy. I think that's just more along the lines of of just a team mentality. You know, It's Uh almost like when the pressure's on – and that's that's why I really believe in these guys. Is is it seems like when when the ante's up, you know, they they just bring their best, and and yeah. they almost they, there's a lot of guys on this team that have that tendency to rise to the occasion. Where a guy like Garrett Cole is coming at you, and, and they step their game up instead of you know backing down or being intimidated. And same thing when you're down three in the ninth and it's supposed to be over, um, they don't ever seem to give up or give in. You know, they always believe in themselves. Have you always uh, do you do you respect that adage about how great hitters hit great pitchers? You know, you know what I mean. It's like a lot of guys feast on 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 shitty pitchers, or you know, uh, exactly, yeah, big time. Late inning home runs in games that don't count or, or that are out. The game's already decided, but the great hitters hit great against great pitchers because like guys like Josh Donaldson, Freddie Freeman, Acuna does that. You know, but they did that against Garrett Cole, where Cunha hit one four seventy three. Then two innings later, Ozuna, another guy who has a reputation for hitting great pitchers, he hit one four sixty three off Garrett Cole. Yeah, it's 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 a mindset for sure. You uh-huh. know, it's 
I had a tendency when when I would face, I was almost better against good hitters because I was slightly. I just knew I had no room for error, so you almost, yeah, yeah. you almost, you almost lock in more. And then I'd right. go pitch against the Pirates or Marlins, and I'd give up a four spot. Right. You know, it's. It, I guess it's just kind of a mentality thing where. You know, if I was facing Ryan Zimmerman, I knew all his strengths. I knew I couldn't mess up. It almost, you almost, your focus just goes up higher where mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, you can't mess up versus if you're playing a team, you know, with a starter with a six and a half ERA, you might come out there a little sloppy thinking uh-huh. it's just going to happen for you. Um, I think it, the, the Braves have a lot of guys on, on the team like that where when they know they have to up it, you know, it's almost like their focus uh-huh. goes up higher. They get sharper versus getting, you know, intimidated or, or thinking they can't do it or getting nervous. There's definitely no guys on this team that get nervous. Yeah, you're. I think there's definitely something to be said. If you go back and look at Hank Aaron, there's quite a few Hall of Fame pitchers who the worst guy they were or the guy that tore them up the most was Hank Aaron. And I yeah. think a guy like Chipper Jones, elite Chipper. guys, the most elite of the elite uh, pitchers, like you said, I think there's something about one of the things that makes them great, obviously, is, you know, the the competitiveness, the pride that I mean, they're already as talented as the best guys are. But when they go up against the best, those guys are at their best. They're, they're sharpest instead of like getting nervous or, you know, uh, uh, having a negative effect on them facing the big moment. Those guys step up. And that's the same thing as facing the, the, the best on the other end of the, of the ball. The best pitchers are the best pitchers facing the best hitters. Yeah. It's, it's a mindset. It's a focus thing. It's, uh-huh. it's, you know, it's almost a challenge to yourself too. Uh, it's the same thing as going from AAA to the big leagues. You see certain guys that, they come up to the big leagues and you could just see it on their face. They're overwhelmed. Right. You know, the situation's right. too big for them. There's too much pressure. And there's other guys that, you know, like Anderson coming up and squaring up against the Yankees and Garrett Cole, you know, he's off the hook. If he has a if he has a five innings, five runs, everyone says, Well, you know, that was a really tough matchup and you're off the hook. But mm-hmm. certain guys, you know, they gotta prove it to themselves and they come up and, and you see that focus and everything just tick up a notch. Uh it's for me, it's I don't even know if it's something you could teach. It's it's yeah. just something you're born with. But there oh, seems to be so. a lot of guys with that. I think for sure it's something you're born with. I'd love to have a psychologist come on the show and talk a sports psychologist talk about that because I think it goes along the same lines of guys who've had some of their best moments when they're sick, when there's no yep. reason they should be able to do it, like when they have the flu or whatever. I saw Kevin Brown pitch one of his best games when he had the flu. Michael Jordan's famous flu game. You know, people are like, oh, did he really have 102 fever? No, yeah. some of the best guys really do. <laughs> Their focus is up and that extra focus when you're already the most elite guy, I think makes a yeah. big difference. Yeah, for sure. And it just seems like there's plenty of guys on this team with that. Yeah, yeah. There's there those are the kind of guys you want to have in your lineup, the ones that step up against the best pitchers, because that's who you're gonna face in a postseason. You know, it didn't work for the Braves last year, but you got it you gotta think they got a good chance because of that. Dansby's got it for sure. He's oh, a big yeah. moment guy. I feel he like is. every time he has a chance to step up in a big situation, you know, it's it's even if he doesn't get the hit, you look yeah. at that bat and it's just a really quality at bat, you know, and it foul balls off and maybe drive something yeah. in the gap, it gets caught, but um, and the numbers say guys. it too. Freddie's number- like that too, man. Yeah. You watch Freddie go against. You watch Freddie go against some closer throwing 102, yeah. and he's just he's fouling balls off. You just see his focus just jump to another level. 
You look like at his career numbers with runners in scoring position, two outs, clutch situations. You look at Dansby's numbers in the late innings. It's uncanny. It's not just a coincidence at this point. It's not a small sample size, you know. And if and it's been like that for him going back at least to college. He was probably like yeah. that in high school too. But at Vandy, it was the same way in the College World Series. And then he 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 attributes it to basketball being a big. He was a big time basketball player in high school, and he attributes it to shooting with the game on the line. He yep. loved doing that, and he said those are like the ultimate pressure moments in those small gyms that are really loud, and you're in an opponent's yep. gym and taking that shot. I mean, I think, like you said, I think you're born with that. I don't think that's something you teach, but if you are born with it and then you you hone it, then you could definitely use it to your advantage, man. But you look at that sure. play dance we made in Arizona to yep. end a game. I figure that one all the time. That was his best play of his career, probably, and he yeah. made it at the at a moment where, it, even a split second difference, or, or if it had not, if he hadn't done everything perfectly on that play, he could not have made that play. And that's kind of what changes when you feel pressure. You, you, you tense up, or you move just a little different. You know, you, you just you're not free uh-huh. uh, in your movements in those situations, and and the ability to remain confident, and believe in yourself, and just. You know, go do it like you always do, but but have that extreme focus. Um, it's it's really hard to maintain. You know, guys come up and make their major league debuts. They can't even feel the ball in their hand. Um, yeah, I pitched yeah. in. I only got to pitch in one playoff game. It was against the Cardinals in the wild card game. But man, I mean, warming up, I couldn't throw a strike. I was so nervous. And yeah. my first couple pitches were just right down the middle, about eighty eight. You know, because I just I wasn't free. I wasn't moving right, and yeah. I had to get to that place where I just said screw it and started letting it eat like a normal game or. Or I would have got shelled, and it's it's hard to take yourself there uh, mentally. And and some guys are just they're just really good at it, you know. No matter what the situation is, even Acuna, you know, he wasn't intimidated yeah, oh, yeah. by Garrett Cole. <laughs> oh, he's a freak, man. Yeah, I mean, at first game up, he wasn't intimidated, you know. No, when he was twenty. Um, just so people know that uh, Ian is he's a he's a human being, and he admitted he he conceded. You know, he didn't he didn't go. No, nah, I wasn't nervous at all. He said, "Oh, there were some moments early that I was nervous for sure." Yeah, but he 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 uh, attributed a couple of things. We asked him about one uh, playing in an empty stadium. You know, instead of coming up and having thirty five, forty thousand people there for a game against Garrett Cole, which there would have been. Uh, on a Tuesday night before it was uh, rained out and became a Wednesday afternoon game. But anyway, all the the stadiums are all empty right now, just cardboard cutouts. And he said, oh, it made a difference. I think it made a difference. You were able to relax or focus or whatever. Uh, And then the other thing is he said, having a a veteran guy, Tyler Flowers back there, helped him so much, cut me calm early on, you know, until he gets in that groove. And he said him and Tyler were on the same page the entire time because we never saw him shake in the video watching it. I didn't see him shake him off one time. No, no. I mean, his mix of pitches was. There's plenty of times where you know you're throwing a two zero changeup or something like that, and if you're not confident, you know, you might shake or something. But he he just threw whatever flow called. But that's a nice thing too when you have that much trust in the catcher that you yeah. can just eliminate the thinking factor and just focus on executing pitches. Yeah, you talked about that when you came up B Max behind the dish. <laughs> I, I like- think I shook twice in my career, <laughs> and it was when uh, J C Boscan came up. And B Mac and David Ross were both hurt. The the Braves have always emphasized that catcher. Sure, there's exceptions here and there where they had to have a young guy because just just the way it was the roster. But if you look back, they've always had those veteran guys that are good game callers. Yep. Javi Lopez didn't have a reputation as a great game caller, but he had a huge bat. And, and it, it's not like he was bad because if you look at the other, you know, Maddox preferred having you know another Eddie. catcher, Eddie Perez, right? Because they just were on a good same vibe. But 
you know, you look at the catchers they've had in the last, you know, especially when they've had young pitchers when they've been during the yeah. rebuild and before that. I mean, it's a string of veteran, really smart game calling catchers. The B Max, the Rossies, the, you know, Tyler Flowers, the Zook, uh, 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 right now Darno. I mean, these are all veteran guys in their thirties that know how to call a game and, and guide a young pitching staff. Yeah. And a good, you know, another really positive thing to it was that Anderson just kept firing strikes. You know, if it, you can get to a point with a veteran catcher where they're trying to find what pitch will get you in the zone, uh-huh. uh, even if it's not the right pitch, they start having to call, you know, slider. It's the only pitch he can throw for a strike right now is a slider. You know it's the wrong pitch, but you still got to throw it because you're going to throw what the catcher calls and, and, and everything like that. And all of a sudden, you're just getting real slider happy. You can't throw strikes with, with any other pitch. You have the catcher just trying to get you in the zone. Uh-huh. Anderson just firing strikes with every pitch just gave Flowers the freedom to just call whatever he wanted. Well, needless to say, he's in the rotation after that strike-throwing yeah. 90-pitch performance. Uh, that was great. Just the second Brave starter to record a win this season. Uh, and the other five are by Max Fried, of course. The other five wins. The Braves get to the 60 the halfway point at 18 and 12, which is a 97 win pace, by the way. It's exactly how many games they won last year. And considering that they've been without Ozzy yeah, Alves for more than good. half of that time, they were without Acuna for a couple of weeks. They had Freddie Freeman miss almost all of summer camp with COVID-19. And come back, it took him a couple of weeks to become Freddie Freeman again, which he is right now, he is a, as as witnessed by that opposite field monster home run that gave them yeah. a 2-1 win in the free game, the second game of that doubleheader. Straight up Freddie Freeman right there. And then Nick Markakis, who's been one of their hottest hitters. He both He's had two stints on the on the IL already. Well, he started the season on that COVID-19 IL and then missed five more games when they got exposed. But he's back. And – that lineup the other the other day was as close to the full lineup as we've seen, and it was pretty impressive. And th- and that's without Ozzy still. It was pretty impressive. Uh, talking about Freddie's home run, man, it's just so impressive. I mean, he's a big guy, but how much yeah. power he gets with such yeah. a simple, compact swing. Yeah. So that's sure, why I man. never I never worry about Freddie with that swing because it's I mean, have, being able to hit an opposite field homer, and it's almost like. It, Every swing is just a, like an O2 protection swing. It's so yeah. compact and so quick. There's really nowhere to go with him. I mean, you saw them trying to pound him in and, and get him off that. But when he's when he has to, he can pull the ball too. Yeah. Uh, there's just when he's locked in, man. He's one of my favorite hitters to watch. Yeah, he said when he pulls one, it's almost a mistake, you know, because he's yep. always. He said he's in, he's locked in a groove right now, and he knows when he gets there because everything is to the shortstop. That's where he's. Yep. That's where his game plan is. Is where his focus is. It's like he takes batting practice. He's the only guy I've ever heard do this <laughs> yeah. to. He tries to hit line drives over the shortstop's head. That's what he does. Yeah, I mean, if you showed up to watch BP, he's not going to be the guy you're talking about right, at the end of it. Right. I mean, you're going to think, right. this guy just hit 70 line drives in, in six rounds. He just went just line yeah, drive yeah. to left center. I mean, not he doesn't even hit many homers or monster shots or anything like that. He just works on that one path. But, mm-hmm. man, his swing is the thing of beauty. Yeah, you, if you came to watch him in batting practice, you know, you saw this big guy out there, you know, yeah. getting, and, and you heard, He's oh, a I, thought, I, heard, I thought Freddie Freeman was like a superstar. You're watching him. You think, who's this John Olerud looking motherfucker? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Just slapping balls to the left. And then in the, home, in the game, it's a homer. Yeah. Uh, so so he, they had three three bombs in that first game, including Dansby. Uh, they had him and Ozuna hit two and one inning off Garrett Cole. It's a guy back to back, right? Wasn't it back to back? One Freddie was between them. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, I think the walked Freddy. Uh, oh, okay. I think that was what, how it went. Yeah. Um, and then, and then in the nightcap, so they get three bombs off Garrett Cole and chased him in three. It was the shortest start of his career. Yeah. And then they, uh, or at least the shortest in a while. I forgot. I had this written down. But and then in the nightcap, they're down 1-0. Max Fried's pitching another gym, even though he didn't have his great stuff. He still only gave up one run against the Yankees. He pitches six innings again. And Freddie hits a two-run bomb in a sixth inning, a seven-inning game. So they win that one, too. Um, so it was a huge day for the Braves. And, and granted, the Yankees have some injuries, but they always have injuries. I mean, Stanton's out half the time, it seems like. And Judge was out, too. So, but it's still the Yankees and they still had some, some big, big bats in that lineup and the Braves pitchers, the two starters each went six impressive innings. And then, uh, Shane Green and Melanson pitched the, uh, the, the, the closed those games out and in both were good. Uh, just a great day of baseball for the team too. You know, when you need a starter to step up and, and yeah. you've been trying to fill these voids and a guy just comes out and fire strikes like that game one. And just the pace of those games was so refreshing to watch. It was huge um, winning those two, but having having uh, Ian Anderson started out like that. Well, Acuna started out with the, with the leadoff yeah. bomb off Garrett Cole, but then to have Anderson go six innings, it was like gravy. As long as you had a decent game in the nightcap, it was going to be a great day for the Braves. But then Freed goes out, and you keep you keep thinking he's going to have a hiccup and have a game where he gives up four runs, like Trevor Bauer did last week. The, he will. After we talked about Bauer in that start uh, in that podcast Tuesday. Uh, he gave up four runs that night or the night before. I forget what it was. And those, you know, that ridiculous 700 OPS plus he had, all of a sudden it starts coming down, you know. But you you keep waiting. Free's going to have one of those games, but he sure hasn't yet. Well, and it's okay to have those. You know, right. it's it's about the body of work. Yeah. That's when you look at guys' numbers at the end of the year, you got to factor in that there's always people that say, well, if he didn't have this game, you know, look at his numbers. Right, or if he right, didn't right. have that game. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but Are these you two, have those games. You have those two games. <laughs> yeah, you try to count out, you know, two or three starts, but that's that's why it's so hard to put up good numbers in the first place because right. you gotta you got to factor those games in and, and figure they're going to happen. How about to do what he did, uh, for Freddie to do what he did? And, and by the way, I, I don't know if we've mentioned, the only hit that uh, Ian gave up was a Luke Voigt homer. That was it. Yeah. That's the only run. That's the only hit. Hey, listeners. Producer Cam here. Listen, why are we needlessly fussing with these generic over-the-counter razors when trying to trim, you know, our basement Chia pads? Why not switch to the precision-engineered tools offered by Manscaped? Their premium lawnmower 3.0 is not only waterproof, but it includes an LED light because working in the dark probably isn't best for doing what we're going to be doing with the Manscaped tools. And it's made with skin-safe technology, which reduces those pesky nicks and cuts on your delicates. You get this trimmer inside the perfect package 3.0 which also includes the manscaped crop preserver an undercarriage deodorant and the crop reviver a family jewel toning spray both super practical and they smell great too plus for a limited time when you order the perfect package kit you get two free gifts the shed travel bag and the manscaped anti-chafing boxer briefs so you need to try this out for yourself get 20 percent off and free shipping by using the code the athletic 20 at manscaped.com because 755 is real and the athletic are hooking you up with that 20% off plus free shipping deal. So again, 20% off free shipping. Use the code the athletic 20. That's a two and a zero, all one word at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. Get manscaped. But for free to do what he did on a day where he didn't even have his best stuff. I think no. that's when he's taking it to another level. 
That's when you see it, guys, when yeah. you can get through those games, when you can get through the games. Um, and that, that might've been something like, you know, year one or year two, cause you're watching him grow. You're watching him figure out this league still. I mean, he's a young, young guy. I mean, he's not, he's not young, young, but yeah. he's young in his career, you know, yeah. especially experience wise. Sure. Those Second are the guys season. that turn into, you know, hall of famers and, and all-stars and everything are the guys that can be off and still find a way to get it done. And I think that's kind of what you've seen the, the younger starters on this team struggle with is. When they have their best stuff and everything's going their way, they can put together some really good starts, but the other starts a blow up. You know, they can't manage that day where they don't feel great. And that's what being a big leader is all about, you know, is, is figuring out how to get it done when you suck, you know, when you're off and, and what you have to do to get through those games. And, and Max is figuring that out. That's why he's putting together crazy numbers. Yeah. Speaking of crazy numbers, man, he uh, he's five and oh. In seven starts with a one three five ERA, a zero point nine five zero WHIP, and league leading, and I I haven't looked at Bieber's to see where his is right now, but two point five WAR leads all mm-hmm. NL starters. I mean, he's up there doing you know the Degrom WAR type stuff that he's done in recent years. He's uh, right now. I'd have him. And Hugh Darvish, because of that game Bauer had, you know, I mean, Bauer's still going to be there, but the one bad yeah. game Bauer had, four runs for him's bad. Uh, all of a sudden, I got I got Max and Hugh Darvish, maybe Jansen, if you want to throw a closer in there, because he's having a hell of a year. I got them as the Cy Young leaders right now in the NL. Yeah, I don't. I think it's going to be really hard for Jansen to be in that conversation unless just no too. no starter has Agreed. this type of year. But agree. And that, but these starters are having great years, you know. Yeah, even look at Darvish though, man. I mean, this is wow. He's he's had good seasons, but he's never had like you know he even with all the stuff he has and everything he brings to the table, he's never just put together just a right. dominant, ridiculous season um, like he's doing this year. And that, that's oh, just how hard it is. But he's on a roll. Oh, he's impressive. He had a bad, mediocre game, I think, his first one, and then he's just he's been unbelievable lately. So, okay, so if he's finally, you know, putting it together and has that dominant year, it took him till 33 to finally yeah. get there. You yeah. Know? And Max is doing it at 26. And he still tends to – and Darvish, I mean, he still tends to either have kind of a nagging injury pop up or he'll have a bad bad stretch where he just he, – he's not the yeah. same guy. So we'll see. Yeah. Ryu had that last year, but he just had such a body of work that yeah. it, you, you don't even notice it when you look back at it. But for a while there, Ryu was not very good at the you know in the second half. I thought he's mm-hmm. not even going to win the you know now he's not going to win the side, which he didn't. But for a while there, he was the, the leading candidate. So, but over a two yeah, month it, season, I, it might be helpful having that two month season for for certain guys, you know, to yeah. not have that that stretch. And that's that's I guess that's why some people want to discredit a lot of numbers this year. But right, right. If you win a Cy Young, I, I, I'm. Taking that. Oh man. And how could no Volta, way you're talking me out of that not mattering? How could Vault a guy like Max Free? Exactly. Which who already appears to have turned a corner his career, obviously, and become an elite top of the yeah. rotation guy. But to win the side, I mean, what the, what what does that do for you mentally? Uh, well, you're always looking for that season, and he's already had it, but you're always looking for that season where you put together that full year. And you can look back at it and just say, I'm a big leaguer now. You know, I'm a, it's official. Right. I'm not going anywhere. I belong here. Um, but maybe for Max, it's it's where he's – this year he decides, shit, I'm elite. Yeah. I'm one of the best in the game. Not yeah. not only do I belong here, but I'm one of the best in the game. And, I mean, you went a Cy Young. That's, that pretty much settles it. Because he – you know, he had – he won 17 games last year, right? He, yeah. He was among that the That was already his year. And wins. But he had a four ERA. Now right. you're looking at a one two one three five ERA. I mean, he's given yeah. up 
and he's not having games where he gives up three or four runs. Not so far. He gave up uh, two on opening day against DeGrom at City Field. He has in the six since then, the six games since, he is 5-0, and 103 ERA, has allowed a 198 opponent's average and a 528 opponent's OPS in those six games. Yeah, and that's the standard he's setting for himself. You know, you you start to believe that's who I am. That's what I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to go six, seven, eight shutout innings. Right. Uh, when when you're young, you know, he's like maybe six innings, three runs. Like, ah, oh, it's decent. You know, you don't really know what what the bar is for yourself. But for him, as the bar keeps climbing, then that's where he's setting his sights. You know, he's not going to be happy with anything less than a great start now. And we talked about those uh, advanced metrics, some of those stats, and one of them was, you know, a, a, a fielding uh, FIP. Fielding independent pitcher where a pitcher where it relies on what the pitcher can pre- pre- prevent, not the defense isn't taken into account at all. And one of those is not allowing homers. He still hasn't allowed a homer in 40 innings this year. Not, not easy to do. No, no. Can you look at some Especially of the lineups they're facing? Game. And some of yeah. the lineups they're facing? The Yankees, you know, in the East now, with this East-centric uh, uh, schedule, all East, they're facing a lot of big sluggers, man. The Phillies. Uh, you look at some of these got hitters they faced, and that's it, that's impressive. The Nats, yeah, and Freed, he, you know, talking about deception, he's got plenty himself. Um, yeah, I saw him. Voit, you know, he threw a fastball to Voit. It was either one zero or or o o. It was early in the count, and he threw a fastball right into Voit's sweet spot, and he just couldn't get to it. And he kind of looked out at the mound, like, okay, I see. You know, I I, he, I think that was his moment where he got why Max is so good because he got his pitch and still couldn't get to it. Yeah, uh, just real quick looking at that that at Ian Anderson again. One thing that I had noted was, you know, a lot of people, myself included, thought Tucker Davidson might be the first guy because he had pitched so much better in AAA last year when each of them, he and Ian Anderson both came up at the end of the year last year in, in AAA, and Davidson had, had put up the better stats, like half the ERA. Uh, Anderson's ERA was over six in AAA, and Davidson was on the 40-man roster. It says a lot about – what the team sees that you don't have, you're not privy to when they're watching them up at the summer camp, you know, or yeah. up, at, up at the alternate site. Cause we couldn't even see summer camp, you know, like batting practice sessions. All we saw was on the field, the main field in the games. And then up at the alternate site, nobody's up there. There's no media access up there, but the Braves saw him pitching really well in his every five day starts in those inter squad games. Alex Anthopoulos was up there for all of them. Really impressed. He had had a couple of back-to-backs where they thought he had really made an adjustment and really was doing and was being aggressive and trusting yeah. stuff and going at it. And that's when they said he's ready. Boom, brought him up right when they needed him too. And he showed what that means. You know, when a guy does kind of kind of makes an adjustment, figures something out, all of a sudden he's going at it with screw this. I'm going to go out there and leave it on the line and 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 face these guys with my stuff and let them hit it. And that's what he was doing. And yeah, that aggression stood out for sure. And he he was just right back on the mound after every. I mean, he was working so fast. He threw a pitch, he got the ball, he got back on it. You know, that that tells me a guy's not intimidated at all. So you could tell that that either the and, and it's not, probably not either or it's probably both that change up though how far it's come and that approach which he said I'm gonna I, I made up my mind in my one of my starts he goes I was it was my last couple starts at that alternate site was when he decided I'm gonna be aggressive. And just yep. go, go, attack, attack, attack. And I'm going to take that same method into when I do get my call up, whatever that is. And he did. And all of a sudden, you're looking at a guy. He had a six five seven ERA and one quality start in six outings at Gwinnett last year. This is obviously a different guy now. Yeah, I mean, he could have ran out of gas last year, too. Right, right. You know, I mean, there's he, that. 
your first what's his second third full season he threw he'd never thrown more than 120 innings he threw 135 last year yeah. Sometimes you just, you know, you run out of gas and that's the type of stuff a team can note too. It's, you, you could just see there's just not the same life on his ball uh, where it's not necessarily a pitching thing. It's just the dude's just out of gas. He doesn't quite have the same stuff. But if they're watching him down in the in the alternate site um, yeah. and he's just blowing away hitters and attacking them, you you know yeah. he's ready. And, and that's that's what yeah. scouting and you talk to the hitters down there too. And you know, talk you talk to, to the coaches. Yeah, you talk to Nick. You talk to guys and – and that's how you make those calls. And sometimes, you know, the numbers don't add up or, or yeah. it's it's hard to predict it. But teams are really good at predicting this stuff and, and figuring out who's ready. Nick really was an asset for the guys, even when he wasn't in the lineup, because he went down to he was faced to all those guys down there in his week down at uh, uh, the alternate site. He faced all those top young pitchers down there and he came back and gave him the scouting report, told told him where everybody is. Ian Anderson hit Nick his first time up, I think it was. Tried to come inside with me. The first time he said he tried to come inside, he hit me in the shoulder. <laughs> so, but that Ted, he wasn't intimidated, you know. He wasn't trying to stay yeah. away from Nick down there at the alternate site. Yeah. Um, but another thing talking about focus was people were people are gonna be happy to know that this kid is another one, really cerebral, smart guy, which we've talked about, you know, pitchers that really I think helps to have guys like Suwoka and Freed who are f- smart enough to figure things out and are really sharp guys and get in the video room and understand all the, you know, advanced metrics and shaping pitches. But this is another guy like in, in that same mold, Ian Anderson, really sharp guy. And another guy that's way mature beyond his years with the beard. He looked, I thought late twenties and not 22. Snit said he didn't even recognize him when he came in with the longer hair and the beard. <laughs> Snit said he yeah. stood, he came into the office and he had a mask on. And Snit said, if he just said, who am I? I wouldn't even have known who he was. He goes, I didn't know who the hell he was. So I'm the new bat boy, but a really smart guy who's, who, who, who's cognizant of this stuff. He said each of the two times the last two years, when I got promoted, I kind of stunk at the new in the first starts of the new at, after being promoted this year. I wanted to make sure that didn't happen again. So this was the ultimate promotion, and for the first time, it did not happen. He went the other way with it. Well, that's it's, that's what it's all about. It's just it's not being intimidated and and being yourself and and doing what you did to get to this next level. You know, it's just it's a mental battle of believing in yourself and being able to pitch the same. And and he did a really good job of that. Um, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of guys come up and and they just change things or they're intimidated. They think they have to be better. And the hardest thing is just to know you're good enough. You belong here. And every single big leaguer tells you that you get there. Everybody say everybody says it's the same game. But um, I mean, it's such a mental battle to believe that and believe in yourself and, and not be intimidated. And when you see guys that can do it, you know, I mean, it's just such a good sign. Snit said he wasn't afraid of anything. I know that. Nope. <laughs> and then he was not. Freddie said, uh, Freddie was talking about the, the day in general, the sweep in the Yankees, what that can do for him. You know, they had an off day the next day. They're at the midpoint, exactly midpoint of the season. Freddie was asked what that can do for the team. And Freddie said, it's really, really big, especially in a 60 game season. When you have two games in one day, it could definitely go the opposite direction. But when you have yeah. starts like we had tonight, that sets the tone. Ian was absolutely phenomenal. And then Max followed it up with another brilliant performance like he's been doing all year. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's, and, it was a big day for the team. Um, yeah, 55 strikes and 90 pitches for Ian. Two walks, six strikeouts in six innings. Uh, and that had and that was the same number that he had peaked at at the inter-squad – or the uh, uh, alternate site, the inter-squad games there, 90 pitches. But like uh, F- uh, Snit said, even if he'd had the no-hitter going through six, he was coming out. He wasn't going to pitch the seventh. Snit had already made up his mind, and he said it made it easier because I heard – 
you know, Giolito had thrown a no-hitter the night before, so ESPN was talking the next morning because there's some doubleheaders going on with seven-inning games this year. And they, uh, MLB, the stat people, had already decided that seven-inning no-hitters are not going to count as no-hitters. So Snit heard that, and he said that made it a little easier in oh, my yeah. mind because he's going to the sixth inning, and his pitch count's getting up there, and he hasn't given up a hit. And Snit said, I already decided he is out after this inning, and he knew he was going to take a lot of shit from people for taking him out, but he said he was yeah. coming out. <laughs> but he said hearing that stat made it easier in his oh, mind. I was going to say, I mean, it's, it's way easier saying that after the guy gives up a hit and you take him out. Right. You know? I believe he's, Snit. I believe he would have taken him out either way. But Yeah. Uh, I bet that did take a lot of pressure off knowing that it wouldn't really be, uh, yeah, I guess, recognized as a no-hitter. Right. Uh, but he said that uh, he said 90 pitches at the alternate site and 90 pitches in your debut against the Yankees are entirely different animals because the time. adrenaline, the yeah. effort, all that. And he's taking, he's to make, make sure the kid doesn't hurt himself, you know? I mean, they need him Yeah, I mean, much. I was watching. I didn't know he had the 90 pitch count or, or what they really had him set at. I thought they might. Um, yeah. They might let him ride, but another thing is, man, when a guy puts that start together, it's kind of it's tempting just to get him out of there and let yeah. him build on that versus you know kind of right. stretching his pitch count, right. and let him throw some fatigue pitches, and maybe he gives up a three spot, and all of a sudden right. it's just an it's an okay start, and you don't even get the win. Schnitt's really good about that. He'll he'll yeah. leave a guy in a veteran sometimes if he's not struggling or whatever, but he's really good at getting a guy out if he's having if he's been having a rough time and he's had yep. a, pitched a great five innings. It's really good about. Instead of getting greedy, getting the guy out and leaving it on a high note, because like you said, nothing nothing ruins a great start more than walking two guys and giving up a three run bomb, because that just leaves that bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, and it's it's something to build on. You know, he gets to yeah. sit on the next four or five days, three uh-huh. four days. He gets to sit there and just dig no himself on, on how good he started and how how well things went. Um, and that's a that's an important part of managing too is. Knowing when guys are going to have a few days off, even relievers, you know, Snit does a good job at that too. Finding a reliever, kind of a soft landing when they're struggling, getting them out there, letting them put up a zero and getting them out of the game. You know, even if you got a good matchup leading off the next inning, just take them out and let uh-huh. them ride that high. Let them feel good about themselves for a few days because that that works wonders for your mind and mentality through the grind of a season. So Ian said that, you know, he knew obviously what's going on with the rotation and he knew he has a chance. And he goes, my goal, to be honest, is to come up here and stay up here. And he decided he was going to do what he does best, which is treat it like just another game and be aggressive from the first pitch. And his quote was, I think pretty early on I was getting comfortable. And that was kind of the mindset I went into it with. You know, in the past, and I've jumped levels, I've kind of struggled in that first game. So I was trying to make an emphasis to have that not be the case this time. I think that mindset kind of helped me. Uh, so he came out fired 95, 96 when he usually sits 93, 94. So the adrenaline was, was obviously pumping. Snitz said he thought if there'd have been 50,000 people there, he'd have been throwing a hundred. <laughs> maybe, maybe, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the good side of not having fans is it is a yeah. little bit easier adjusting to the level. Cause it's obviously a factor, you know, when you have 30, 40,000 and you're used to pitching in front of five, yeah. um, it, it's easier to kind of get that adrenaline up and, and lose, lose control of everything. But um, I mean, again, he just he looked like he was in total control. He didn't look intimidated. He was firing strikes. I don't know what you know. You couldn't ask for a better start out of him. No, and you know you expect that from the number three pick, three pick in a draft. But you know he's a guy that was drafted out of high school. He's only a fourth guy from that a fourth high school kid from that draft to get here. So pretty impressive. Um, and a guy that only had five or six starts above double A. You know. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Boone, the Yankees manager, said, I thought he did a good job of attacking the strike zone and being a little unpredictable. 
Yeah. He said he has the advantage of us not having seen him much at all, obviously. But he said, but he pitched well against us. So, you know, that's pretty good from the other manager, from the Yankees. You don't want to give him too much credit, huh? No. I mean, it's the Yankees, you know. Shit. It's not the Marlins. Uh, The only two runners to reach base through the first five innings against him were on a fourth inning error by Austin Riley because he was was, uh, perfect through the first three. He had a fourth inning error by Austin Riley. Uh, or no, he had a walk in the third, and then he had fourth in an air by Austin Riley, and then another walk. Uh, and then after that other walk, he immediately got a double playgrounder to get out of that, which also was impressive to get out of the inning. Well, and and even that's that's more about his, you know, just them not being able to square up his fastball. That fastball uh, middle away, kind of a little bit above the belt, is Sanchez honey hole. He loves fastball up, right? Uh, he and to to challenge him and. He didn't make a great pitch, but just the aggression and coming at him, um, you know, not being afraid, not nibbling, coming coming straight to Sanchez right there. Um, his, his fastball just beat him to the spot. He hits into a double play, but that's that's your reward for for being aggressive, uh, aggressive and, and staying after the hitters and you know not not nibbling at all. I asked Freed about it after Freed's second game and how what he thought of Ian Anderson, and he said so impressive. He said I just can't say enough good things about Ian. Just the way that he was in the clubhouse today and yesterday on the rainout day. He said how confident he looked. He walked around and looked like he'd been here before. That's something that can be pretty intimidating, especially for a young guy, but him being able to be comfortable and then going out there and just competing. He said I'm Freed said I mean, you could see he was just trying to make pitches. It was just the next pitch. I'm going to make this pitch. I'm going to make the next pitch. He just rattled off an unbelievable outing. I don't think you you have to be I don't think you have to really do more than that. No, you know, some of his innings were so quick too. I missed, I think I missed the third because you're kind of thinking, you know, I'll go grab a a drink or I'll go, you know, do something around the house. You come back, he's already got two outs and he's 0-2 on the last guy and the inning's over. You don't even see it. You know, those those innings are, they're impressive, man, from a young guy like that. Yeah, Freddie said maybe the rain out helped him because he had already had a preparation of the whole day going into it. So he was already ready for his start. You could tell he was meant to pitch, and we got a good one right there. Yeah, now you just got to keep doing it. You know, go out and do it again, build off that. Yeah. I mean, how big for Acuna to hit that first inning home run to to, to give the guy. I mean, here you go. Here's a 1-0 lead, kid. Go with it. And they showed him in the dugout, by the way. I saw it. Yeah, he's smiling. <laughs> yeah. You could tell he was relaxed right there, but he's kind of shaking his head at Acuna, you know. And, and afterwards, uh, Ian said, you know, he goes, unbelievable. He goes, I know I, I shouldn't be surprised because I know what he can do. But still, he goes, that, that, that's a special player right there. Like, yeah, we, we've been watching it, dude. Yeah, we <laughs> <He> know <is>. that. <laughs> so that bomb, by the way, was the second longest in the majors this year. Stanton's 483-footer was the only one longer. Man. I mean, Acuna's hit some shots, too. Yeah. Uh, he's yeah. hit quite a few down the left field line. You know, that upper deck over there, the second deck. Um, but that was, I think it was like three or four rows from the concourse. Eric, before we move on, let's hear from one of today's partners. Uh, the other big, uh, big news of the, of that day, the, the previous day was Mike Soroka talked to us for the first time since his, uh, Achilles tendon surgery, which he had a couple of weeks ago when he was injured on the third, August 3rd, had surgery a couple of days later with the best Achilles guy, the best ankle, uh, ankle Achilles guy in the country now. Got some Green Bay. They used to be down here in Charlotte and they hired him up in Green Bay because they gave him a clinic and all that. But I mean, Dr. Anderson, he's the best. So he flew up there for that surgery. 
said everything went great, said Anderson told him the surgery was really good, and he's such a young guy that the recovery could be better for him than others, but you just don't know yet because he's yeah. completely immobilized and in a cast. You don't know yet. Uh, people, the reason it takes so long for the rehab for this, normally 9 to 12 for a non-athlete, you know, but it's, it can be different for athletes, obviously, when they're just, that's their job is to get ready every day. But it's such a low blow fl- blood flow area. You know, yeah. there's no blood flow down there to to yeah. to aid in the uh, the rehab. So fortunately, there's all these advanced techniques, and you had mentioned this right after the injury when we were talking about the surgery that there's a new surgery. Well, he got that, which is the, the less, minimally invasive one. Yeah, where you don't yeah. cut open the entire length of the Achilles. It's a really small incision because if you look at the pictures of Achilles tendon surgery and and yeah. Uh, Online, they're kind of grotesque because they open the whole thing and spread it open. They didn't do that with him. It's a small incision and they go in. So you can see right away where that would, where that could really help in the rehab process and, and speed it up a little bit. Uh, yeah. The less scar tissue you have, the better. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause when, man, when they used to the surgeries, they used to do like on knees, on ACLs, when yeah. they would go in to see what the damage was, you know, and fix it at the same time. Well, now yep. they do, you know, arthroscopic. They do ACLs arthroscopically. All you have is the whole pin, the holes, you know. They do the whole thing arthroscopically. So it's entirely different than the day like when Andre Dawson would get it cut cut wide open in high school after football injury, you know, and play the rest of your career with that. So, but he said uh, – he said, everything's feeling great. Dr. Anderson did an amazing job. He was, as his usual, upbeat self. I mean, even after this surgery, this is a kid who's, you know, so young in his career. And I could see where the guy would be depressed or down a little bit or, you know, like, woe is me. And he was exactly the opposite. He's like, he, oh, you'd never know that this guy below the desk that he was sitting at had his foot in a, in a cast. You'd never know. He acted entirely the same as he always does. And he said, uh, I mean, he's the best in the business for a reason, Dr. Anderson. Even talking to some other people that have had it previously as far as post-surgery goes, they said I did it pretty well. And he said that because of the pain because he told them he didn't have a whole lot of pain at all after he came That's out good. of the surgery. Yeah. It's a good sign. Yeah. And he's in a cast, and then he'll go to a boot. And the first the first uh, four weeks are the same for everybody. They're scripted. You don't do anything. It's totally immobilized. But he's already doing everything around that that you can be doing with other parts of your body and everything. And the Braves have all this advanced stuff now that they didn't used to have, stuff like an underwater treadmill, all this stuff that and, and the training staff that's really kind of cutting edge and that they're they they keep up with everything and they talk to the leading experts and everything and they they want to stay abreast of all the cutting edge techniques. So they've already got this thing mapped out for him. As soon as he can start in with this stuff, they are gonna be do they're going to push it without risk and injury, but they're going to push do all the advanced stuff that there is out there available. They're going to keep him doing and, and Soroka for them is a perfect pupil because perfect patient, because this guy has a, is voracious worker. So he's yeah. going to do whatever he can do. He's not going to be like lazy in his rehab and go, I'm not coming back for nine months. So I'm not really going to worry about it right now. He said, he's going to every day try to get better. And he's already talking about correcting a minor flaw in his uh, mechanics so that maybe when he comes back, he's going to be better in that regard. <laughs> yeah, just the advancements. You know, I think that's part of the reason that an Achilles is so scary in the first place is they used to do it different, you know, uh-huh. and just all the advancements you've seen uh, in baseball, you know, training staffs and medical staffs and, and the surgeries and everything like that. I mean, it's got to make you feel good knowing that, that you're, 
you got the best people working for you. You know, you're not just stuck with the team guys because that's who they are. The team went out and got the best guys and, and you have yeah. the best people working for it. So I think it's easier for him to have that mindset. But again, you know, you can have the mindset of I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm just going to kind of hang out and, and right. see or you can be like he's doing. He's already looking and digging into his mechanics, which is you know that's the type of stuff that made him really good in the first place. Um, and I think I said four weeks, no, four months. The first 16 weeks are a pretty regimented thing. No, you know, it's immobilized. You go, well, you go, he said, I think it's nine more days that he's in the cast. Then they'll move him to a boot and, and then he'll be part, then he'll start with partial weight bearing. But the first 16 weeks are kind of scripted for anybody that's doing this and that you can't start doing other anything more than that with this or you'll really have setbacks with it. You have to be patient with that part of it. But you can obviously work on everything else, you know, except yeah. Achilles. Yeah. Um, it was talking about how it happened. You know, something that you done a thousand times in his career. Obviously, step off the mound, a ground ball to the right side. He's racing over to uh, cover first base. And he said he just stepped. And he knew right away because he goes, it's like everybody else says, either it feels like you got shot or you got stepped on. You know, you're like your Achilles, like somebody stepped on the back of your foot. And he goes, and once I realized that I didn't get hit in the back of the leg with the ball, I knew what had happened. Because he goes, I've had yeah. enough muscle stuff and all that this to know different. that this was different. Yeah. So that's when he went down screaming because, you know, he knew what it was. It hurt, but he knew what it was more than anything. He knew he was done. So, and well, that's why he said it was a terrible feeling. <laughs> and that's why he said it was no dill, dillion around dilly dallying on the field. When they came out, he immediately told the trainers, you know, let's go. We, he knew there was no reason to lay there and have them. He knew what it was. Might as well get to the train room and check it out. I mean, I'm sure he just had a pit in his stomach as soon as he felt it, but. Oh, and he heard it. Yeah. He, he, oh, heard, he heard it. it? Yeah. Mm. He heard it. You know, it's not a big crowd. Oh, he has piped in noise and he heard it. You know, you've heard some people say that they can hear it. He said he heard it. It was like a mm. smack, but he knew then. He goes, it didn't help that I heard it. Mm. You heard it pop. Yuck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's, a, you think about what it, something must take to, to sound like, to make a sound like that. That's a pretty violent rupture is a good word for it. Ruptured attended, ruptured Achilles. I mean, you always want to, when something happens, you always want to believe it's not as bad as it is. But if you hear something snap, it's mm -hmm. start walking off the field. Uh, Adam Wainwright, former Brave, came back and at a much more advanced age than than than, uh, than our boy has. You know, Soroka's twenty three. Wainwright, I think, was about I want to say six or seven years older than that. He came back in five months after doing it at the start of the season, was back for the playoffs. Now that's the that's the extreme short end of the scale. Cause we just said we laid that laid it out four months before you can do anything, really. Yeah. I mean, the first so he came back in five months. Now he's already texted and talked with Adam Wainwright about it. And so while he's hopeful that he could come back, you know, in you know, you, there's no reason to come back five because the season doesn't start for if he yeah. came back in eight, he'd be back for opening day, which he says he hopes he's at the short end of the the rehab thing, but he's not going to be stupid. He's going to be smart, but he is going to obviously try to push it because he wants it to be a short end if he can. Um, he knows that the, the brace training staff is not going to let him overdo it and hurt himself, but he's fired up to get back and be back for the rest for the start of next year, if it's at all possible but not at the risk of long-term having it become a lingering thing at all. Yeah. You just, you have to be smart. You know, every bit of you wants to 
you see that that five month you know kind of bar set by Wainwright, and you just think you know I can do that too. But uh-huh. you know it sounds like he's got the right mindset, knowing you know you have to do this right because and especially if you're the Braves too, you know there's there's no reason you'd let a guy push himself or if he's running around, he looks great. You can't see anything wrong with him. Maybe you give it a try, you know, get yeah. him off the mound a little early, but I'm sure they'll be extremely cautious with this guy because of everything he means to the organization. I mean, w- maybe with Wainwright being a little older, it, it wasn't as much cautious or caution. Right. But right. And he wanted to be after the playoffs. I age. can't imagine pushing Soroka even in the slightest right. bit. Cause if he comes back in, even if it's June or July and you're looking yeah. at having him healthy for the rest of his career versus getting a couple April or May starts out of him. I mean, what's the, the risk reward is so high. Yeah. Uh, Wainwright did his front leg. I was under the impression, you know, just my, my layman, uh, looking at it. I thought, you know, the back leg, the push off leg might be worse, but I think you said front leg would probably be worse. And you're right. The general opinion is, for most guys, it's different because some guys put more weight on their front foot when they land. Yeah. Some guys push off more. But the general consensus is it's better to do the push off foot because the weight, you got to put so much weight and stop your momentum with yeah. that front foot. And so that, so, so it's worse. So he, so he's better having it be his right leg, his push off leg. And he's not a guy that pushes off a lot, that has a lot of weight on that back leg. And, and, and he said that's the flaw in his mechanics, too, that he wants to fix a little bit. But Yeah, I'm like, maybe leave that alone, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least for the first year back. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, he's not one of those guys that has a really long stride and drives off the mound. He's kind of a, a shorter stride and gets – that's why he gets such good sync because he does get on top and gets over the ball really right. well. You know, he's not like a, a ride guy where the ball rides up in the zone because his stride's so long. But – yeah, I mean, it's just it's it seems like even for me, I don't know, I don't know which leg's better to do. It's right. not a good one to have a torn Achilles on. I know that, but he him just the, being, go ahead. No, he took the approach that he thought it was. Uh, he'd rather have it be uh, this than yeah, ACL so. or MCL than, than a knee. He said, or obviously an arm. He said he'd rather it be this at his age. Okay. But you know, maybe that's just him being optimistic. But that, or yeah. but he acted like he's been told that. I don't know. You know, maybe other guys are making him want, want to make him feel good. But he said, uh, obviously, I'd like to be at the short end of the rehab. I think everybody would. But it's going to be a matter of making sure that everything is strong, especially in some of the positions that I get into off the mound. I'm a little more quad dominant in my push, which means my knee falls over my front toes a little bit, creating a little more yeah. range of motion there. So it's going to be probably something to look at in my mechanics, to be honest with you. And that's probably something that I should have fixed a while ago. Not even about the Achilles. He said it had nothing to do with the injury, but just loading my back hip. So, and so, uh, as so many have talked about in pitching mechanics. So that might be an opportunity to make sure I can correct that little flaw. And who knows? It might help me out. So well, he so might do it by default too. Right. You know, it, if you watch a guy's right. shin angle when they go to load, you can tell if they're quad dominant or glute dominant by right. how their their shin will be a lot more upright if they're sinking into that hip. And if they're getting into their quad, you'll see almost like a 45-degree angle of that shin. Uh-huh. Um, so, I mean, it might be something that if he fixes that, you know, it, obviously if your shin's going forward, that's more stress on your ankle because that's the joint below it. So if he's if he's loading his quad more – um, right. it almost actually allow his Achilles not to have to stretch as much uh, when he does I push. You. So, I, I mean, that could be a good thing. Yeah. It sounds to me like it could be like guys that have, and, and you can attest to this guys 
that have had uh, TJ surgery or rotator cuff surgery say that uh, they work with TJ surgery, especially because you work so much on strengthening the shoulder after you hurt your elbow that you can come back. Some guys feel like they come back better because they work on all those little muscles that you don't normally work on. So their arm is is more sound throughout the whole arm because they've worked on everything else to strengthen it. Yeah, and your glutes are stronger than your quads, so he could even get some velocity out of it. Uh, but I also think that the reason he has that nasty sink is because he's quad ah. dominant and and he doesn't stride and drive as far. Um, but either way, you know the guys, he's smart enough for whatever he whatever stuff he comes back from this injury with is he's going to figure out a way to use it. Yeah, and Wainwright remember came back as a reliever because he was right. closing then. So yeah, it's a lot less reps. Yeah, a lot less different. So he, you know. So once he was, once Rainwright was cleared after the four months, he didn't have to build up that stamina and the pitch count too, which obviously Soroka's going to have to do. But at the time of the year he did it, he'll have the whole offseason. If he gets back, if he's ready, cleared after four months to start doing a lot more stuff, he should still have like four more months before opening day to, to, to work, to, you know, to ease into it. So. I think it's good in when it happened in that he won't be tempted to rush back and be there for opening day in that. It won't be such a rush job, in in other words. Yeah, you don't and want to rush. The best move if, for me would just be to not have a, a return date set. Right. And just play every day. And that's why every they're doing day. Yeah. But if he's back in nine, to, nine to ten months, he's back one or two months into the season. He's back well before the All-Star break if it's, if it's ten months. That'd be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Ideally, you know, you'd like to have him back, you know, at nine months and, and be 100%. And that's one month into the season or even sooner than that. But, yeah. yeah the, the scary thing about setting that target date, though, is yeah. sometimes when you get that in your head, you're just so dead set like on getting really there. Like really was. Like really. Right. And then and then you're, you're willing to be a little uncomfortable, but you have this big goal set for yourself. And when you're coming back and what you want to do that maybe you do push through something that, you know, a little discomfort or it's mm-hmm. not quite feeling right, but you have your mind just – yeah, you, tell you, know, you just have this tunnel vision on when you want to be back out there. And I think it's good that they're just saying, you know, it could be five, it could be 12, but just play every day, just one day at a time, play it by ear and see how he's feeling. And, and when he's back, he's back. He said the last thing you wanted to to be dealing with is nagging issues in that spot that hinder my performance on the mound because yep. we'd rather take that extra month if you need to, to make sure that it's sound and everything is ready to go. And that goes for being on the mound and building up for innings too. It's kind of a different thing. Like we said, it's going to be almost more of making sure I'm able to pivot and go cover first again, uh, uh, as opposed to throwing on the mound. So it's going to be a little different that way. Again, like I said, I'd like to be on the short end of the rehab period, but if it takes an extra month or two, I will completely understand and we'll go that way if necessary. That's the mindset right there. You, you know, but you said you rushed back in, from, from a surgery, right? A little too fast? Yeah, I did. Well, I just, I didn't feel right. But, um, you know, a lot of guys were back in 12 and I was looking at 13. And that's the type of stuff I'm talking about where, you know, maybe you heal a little differently. You're, you're, it's just, it's not your choice, you know, how you heal and and how you come back. And um, for me, I started, I basically altered my mechanics to avoid my elbow hurting when I should have just not been throwing. I should have, I should have slowed it down more. And I'd, I'd signed a big deal with Oakland, a two-year deal, and I wanted to get back on the field. And I had this kind of these goals of when I was coming back and everything, and I felt this pressure to perform um, and be out there because I'd signed a contract. And you just get bored, man. You want to play again. So I, there's a lot of different factors that'll that'll cause you to kind of overlook, uh, you know, little nagging stuff or, or not quite feeling right. But I definitely think it affected the rest of my career because I couldn't get my mechanics back after that. And 
Um, that that's the type of thing that would be scary for Mike is to to rush it back while compensating and then change his delivery and all of a sudden he's not as good as he was when you know who cares if he comes back in June or July as long as he's as long as he's 100 percent and feeling the same it's it's not going to kill the team he said that uh he was going to talk to Zach Britton um and maybe he already has he was going to talk to him in the next few days because uh he he came back his was nine or ten months and he said his was front foot as well but he said he's he said Zach Britton he's got a really strong front side too. That's probably where it was more where it was more than anything else struggling to gain that strength back. I'm sure for a lot of guys, I think a lot of times too you hear of so many timeline differences because typically when people do this, they're a little older and typically when it's not athletes, they're not doing physiotherapy and not doing rehab stuff every day. When we hear the nine to twelve month period, you know, for standard Achilles, so yeah, you're going in twice a week to a physical therapist. Uh huh. He said, I've been in here every single day. He said, well, not every day. We, we, we took off two days, but pretty much every day since, since day three post-op surgery, we're doing everything we can. A lot of blood flow restriction therapy, a lot of stuff of that nature. I'm very lucky to have a medical staff that understands what we can do. He said, I think this is the fourth Achilles that uh, George Poulos, the brace trainer, has dealt with. And he said, and our physical therapists are learning so much as they go. They're reading tons of research and they really love it. So we're lucky again to have the tools available to us that we need. That goes for the underwater treadmill, which will be huge for us and all that going forward. It's going to be one of those things where we're going to be able to evaluate every day and hopefully get better every single day. Whereas with a lot of people, I think it's taken a little more passively when they're not athletes. Yeah, that blood that blood flow restriction therapy is really cool too. It's I I don't know exactly how the mechanism of it, but it's supposed to get um, more growth hormone into your blood. Uh-huh. Um, what it does is it cuts off circulation. So what you can do, and it's really cool for Mike, especially because he can't load that leg, but he can do quad extensions and hamstring curls. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it it's just it cuts off the blood flow, so it gets to a point where if you your muscle has to work as hard as it would have to work if it had a really heavy load on it. Yeah. And so you do like sets of 30 with no blood flow to the, um, to your leg. It's, it's like a tourniquet. Ah. And so what winds up happening, I guess, is there, the theory behind it. I liked it so much. Um, I bought one for myself, for my knee, cause my knee had been bothering me. It really? helped me a lot, but, um, you know, that might be something that could really, that's an advancement too, that hasn't been around a long time, uh-huh. but that could be something that could help him a ton. Cause it, it'll keep his legs strong. So when he starts loading up his, his um, ankle again and everything, you'll have a ton of support from every other muscle in his leg. I asked him about uh, Max Freed. I said, you're probably not surprised to see Max continue his development and get better and better, right? And he said, no. no. <laughs> he said, I think it's quite obvious to a lot of us that have watched him for so long. And I always say, I mean, he's got that change up now, but if you got if you got to watch him in the playoffs in low A in 2016, it's obvious. His talent was much beyond where he was always kind of looked at. And it was just a matter of consistency for him and consistent mindset. And he's found that. And it's been really fun to watch. He said he's been consistent, been attacking, and he does a ton of work off the field too as far as advanced work. I mean, he's super prepared when he goes out there now and has been showing. He's doing what what he can do. He's proven that he's going to be to be and can be one of the elite starters in baseball, and I think he will be for a while. That was what Sarah said about free. Yeah. So uh anyway, um, hey, just a, a couple of, uh, of other quick things. I had uh uh Oh, 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 one thing. He also, you know, this weird time to be hurt and have an injury like that that you're rehabbing from. And we asked him, 
how much are you allowed to be around the team now? Because, you know, you, you were, you were yeah, thinking it yeah. must suck if you can't. And he goes, I don't get to spend a ton of time with them. Some days when my rehab takes place a little later, though, I'll stick around till they come in and I'll eat with them and then I'll leave. But just to see them and hear what's going on, there's always inside jokes that you miss when you're not with yeah. them. He's being filled in on everything that happened on the road trip, things like that. That's always fun. Again, we're very lucky to have a cl- tight, close-knit team. And that's what makes us a team. And that's why we've been able to kind of push through adversity this year because everybody's like that. It's been awesome to see. And it's going to be a lot of fun watching them go forward. So that's that's probably the toughest part, not being around your teammates. You know, you just, you you hang out with the trainers all day. And and the way the Braves do it, they have the rehab guys. They come in around 10 or 11, they do all their stuff. And then they go home, you know, when the team gets there. So they're out of the way. Uh That's one of the things that tugs at you the most is just missing out on everything with with basically your family. You know, it turns into a family. So, and they sure can't come tough. in early like they, you know, normally they'd be there like two. Some guys would be drifting in like at noon, you know, and yeah. eating lunch and stuff there and being there for, and he'd be able to spend a couple hours with them. But nobody's getting there that early right now. So he has to kind of stick around just to spend some time with him. So, yeah, I'm sure he misses that. Yeah. His dad flew down and, uh, and is from Canada and has been with him, uh, this whole time since post op helping him. He's got stairs in the house, that kind of thing. His dad's helping him with everything. That's kind of cool. Yeah. It's good to have. Uh, one other thing I want to ask you about, because you're in Seattle, the Seeger brothers. How cool must it be to be a brother who have another, you have another brother in the major leagues and you're both getting off, man, hitting. And yeah. now they're playing in this weird season because Corey and Kyle are with Seattle and the, and the Dodgers. So they're playing each other a lot now, which before they never did, you know, they hardly played each other at all. So Corey Seeger, Hitting 302 with eight homers, 22 ribbies, and a 930 OPS in 26 games for the Dodgers. Kyle Seager, who's six years older, he's 32. He's hitting 292, career best, with five homers, 26 ribbies, 875 OPS in a league high 33 games for the Mariners. I mean, that's that's got to be awesome having a brother, and you're both doing that in the big leagues. That'd be so cool. <laughs> I, I was I was laughing. I was really um, entertained by Wilson Contreras. Um, yeah, when his when his brother yeah. came up and was doing so well for the Braves, but this guy was just every time his brother got a hit, yeah. he was sending out a tweet about it and just so uh, proud of him. He's so proud of him. Uh, I was laughing because I'd be doing the exact same thing, yep. man. I mean, if I, you'd almost be happier for your brother than yourself, I'm, I'm sure he is. But yeah. man, it's it's something about genes too. You know, there's just something oh, yeah. in, in certain genes where Look at the Molinas. Yeah, <laughs> it's cool, man. Yeah, I lose. That's a really cool thing. Uh, and, but it's cool that, 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 that he's having, you know, he's healthy and having that year with Seattle and it's the year that he gets to play his brother all the time now, Yeah, you know, with the schedule being what it is. I mean, at least they have, I can't imagine how cool that is, man. Just to look across the field and see your brother out there. I mean, just against the the odds of that ever happening. Yeah. Those guys are lucky. Two guys from Charlotte, North Carolina, Concord, North Carolina, out on the West coast doing their thing, man. I know the Braves have been interested in each of them at different times in the past, I mean, the production they're getting out of third base right now, which is zero, <laughs> you know, but I don't see them giving up on Austin Riley. That's the thing. Otherwise, I'd say, you know, and they need a starting pitcher more than anything. They still need a starter, even with Ian. They need another guy. 
Uh, and I think at the trade deadline, there's still that the emphasis of starting pitcher. Otherwise, I would think Kyle Seager would be a fuck. But he's got a lot of years left. So if you know, if you he's signed, well, he's only signed through 21. Yeah. yeah, he's only got two years left. I guess. Yeah, not. he's got the one big salary next year, but it's not. It doesn't look that big now because he's healthy and hidden. So 15 yeah. million or whatever isn't that big now. And no, then an option a year after that. So you wouldn't be giving up on the guys in a sense. You'd just be giving right. them, you know more time in the minors, I guess. And if they felt like that, you know, the, I guess the thing is the offense really hasn't struggled. You know, if you not at you all, know. not that's the thing. And you're getting Ozzy back. I mean, you yeah, you can have you can afford to get no production from third base if you know if that would be the case. As long as you're getting it everywhere else, like you are right now, you know, especially when Ozzy gets back, if he's even normal at all. So the yeah. starting pitching still got to be the emphasis, I think. Yeah, still- yeah, it'd be kind of a waste of trade currency, I guess, to to spend it on Seager. Yeah, but man, think if they did get him, you could always play Austin Riley in left field. Yeah, I mean, in left field, be a pretty damn good and, lineup. And I don't think they're going to have the DH next year. But the way things have gone, would it surprise you at all if the players Not all of a sudden bit. said, "All right, let's do it. Let's just keep the DH. We did it. Let's go ahead and do it." It wouldn't surprise me. So. Not at all. I think it's coming. Even if it's not next year, it'll be in the next agreement. As much as I don't like that. Yeah. Oh, the next agreement for sure. I'm just saying next next year. I'm, I could be next me. year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Could be one of those things that the players just agree to. You know, know when it's coming to kind of build up some goodwill or get things going in their direction or kind of a bargaining chip. Yeah. 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 Kyle's owed 18 million next year and a 15 million dollar option for 2022. Uh, he's had. I didn't realize this guy's hit 22 or more homers in seven straight years. Even last year when he only played 105 games, he had 23 homers. 22 well, every year. He made some big adjustment in his swing last year, and then he got hurt. Yeah. Yeah, he was having a huge year last year before he got hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So We'll see. I, I, don't, I wouldn't see him doing it just because there's such bigger needs, but it, yeah, I yeah, wouldn't be sad yeah. if they did. You know, I mean, make the team better for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, the other way you go is if you if 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 the price of a starting pitcher is just too much, then you say, all right, we'll just kill awesome them with offense. offense. Yeah. We'll, just, <laughs> we'll just outscore everybody. But yeah. that's why I think the Ian Anderson was so huge was too, huge. because yeah. all of a sudden you're looking at this guy. If he pitches like that, he's he, there's no reason to think he can't do it in the postseason. There's not going to be fans probably in the postseason. If there are, there aren't going to be that many. And there's not going to be, you know, some cauldron like pitching at Dodger Stadium in your first postseason game. Right. You know, yeah, I mean, it's only, you know, it's one start, but it was so impressive yeah, that it makes impressive. you feel pretty damn good about it, him. It just didn't seem fluky, anything about it. Nothing fluky. Not, he's, nothing, he's a stud. It wasn't getting line drives at people yeah, or right. you know, going 3-2 and getting out of it. I mean, he just, he he came after him and dominated him. He's a stud, man. Yeah, that was cool. And if they can bring up – if Tucker Davidson or, or Muller, big old Kyle Muller, one of those two lefties is ready next year, all of a sudden the rotation, you're going, well, we said the same thing this year, but, I mean, these are yeah, young guys. say it every these, year. <laughs> these are young, healthy guys, though. You know, you're not counting on guys coming back from, you know, bad years or veterans at the end of the contra- uh, the end of their uh, uh, careers on one-year contracts, that kind of thing. It would be real nice to be able to count on Freed, Soroka – Ian Anderson and one of those young guys next year. Holy shit. Then, yeah, then, then if you could add one good starter, that's why I think Lance Lynn, God, I, I, if the, if the price is even, even it's just not huge for Lance Lynn, I would pull the trigger on him in a heartbeat because he signed through next year. 
Imagine bringing that guy back next year to pair with Freed, Soroka, Ian Anderson, having Lance Lynn. Oh, yeah, that'd oh. be a nasty rotation. Durable. Yeah, if one more. If one more guy comes up and, yeah. and steps up to the plate like like Anderson did, you'd, you'd feel pretty damn good about everything. And a thing I love about Lance Lynn is that he's so big and durable, and that he's just like almost all fastballs. I mean, this guy's got, yeah, he just chucks it in there. Yeah, he's not hurting his elbow throwing breaking stuff. I mean, he's uh, he's not afraid. And he's in his thirties. I mean, he would be a great guy for those guys to look up to too. Well, not that these young guys, they're all so mature. They really don't need it, but it sure would be nice to be able to have that guy like, like what uh, Freed has become now who gives you, and Soroka was, gives you six innings at least every time out, you know? Well, it's another really good thing for young guys to watch though, is to see a guy that's throwing 93 yeah. and attacking hitters. Yeah. It's a good thing for young guys to see that you, you don't need to be anything crazy special. It's a mindset and it's, it's an approach and, yeah. and watching a guy do that. And you have 98 in the tank. You know, there's there's not a lot of ways to cut yourself any slack or make an excuse for why you can't do it, too. Yeah. Well, you see, your guy, Tawan Walker's off the board. He went to the Blue Jays. So, that's one less guy. That's an option. Yeah. I like Lance Lynn a lot more than I like – I mean, Gaussman, nice guy and all that. But I I, I, tr- I would feel so much more confident in running Lance Lynn out there for the rest of the season and especially for the playoffs than I would Gaussman, you know. Or even Cueto. I mean, Cueto gets blown up every other start, it seems like. You know, I mean, he's a really good. He's been a great pitcher, but he's at the end of the line, too. So, yeah. Anyway, and Lance Lynn's so affordable next year. That's the thing. Cueto's $20 million salary next year that you got to have him pick up half of it, over $20 million. Well, that looked good in the playoffs, too. You know, Anderson, Lynn, and Freed. That's a, you can wish. A lot to ta- that's a lot to handle if, if Anderson yeah. keeps doing like this. Uh, I, I like the Braves' chances of getting to the L- LCS, and even given the Dodgers a series, if you had Lance Lynn with Freed and then one other guy, whether that's Hamels coming back healthy or Anderson or whoever it is, but I would like that. I'll yeah, I mean, if, as long as you get the starting pitching situation sh- yeah. sorted out, you know, with that the bullpen? offense isn't a problem. Bullpen's nasty. I mean, the team's pretty well-rounded. With that, that nasty bullpen, you just need five strong innings from your starter. Yep. Six, six would be ideal. All right. Well, 7.55 is real, and uh, we'll be back after this weekend series against the Phillies. Hope they get the games in. If they don't feel, uh, you know, if there's not protests or whatever, if there are, then so be it. Whatever's got to happen has got to happen. Yep. But it's interesting times, man. There's only there's only six days left. Well, now three days left till the uh, trade deadline, by the way. Three days. It's crazy. This year's flown by somehow. And stuff's happening, too. There's moves being made and talked about right now, so around baseball. So stay tuned. All right. We'll talk to you guys again on Tuesday. We're out. <laughs>